episode of Below the Frame, I'm talking to Stephanie DeBruzzo, and she is talking to me. That's right, it's my turn on Below the Frame. We'll also be learning about doubling in puppetry, and we'll ask a puppeteer a question about not puppets. Here it is, it's time to go Below the Frame! Go, go, go Below the Frame Welcome to Below the Frame with me, Matt Vogel. As I've said about a thousand times, well, maybe not a thousand times, maybe 30, 33 times, I have said, if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. I have no idea why. I don't know if anybody has taken the time to rate or review it, but if you have, I appreciate that. Uh, okay, so now that that is out of the way, I think that uh, today- uh, Matt, oh, is yeah, this thing on? Oh, hey, it's Stephanie DeBruzzo. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 no, you're Hi. there. It's, hey, hey, Stephanie, how, how, Hi, how you doing? Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm great. I, I, um, I'm, I'm knocking at your door. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I am, I am, I I don't know if you'd like to do this thing. Are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. No? I, well, no, I am ready to go. I'm ready to go. I didn't write any, you know, intro for myself. I just kind of. I don't know. I just was just, uh, I I thought that maybe you would just ask me some questions. If you, if you're up for it. I, I think that you deserve more than that, Matt Vogel. I think that you deserve the full podcast treatment. Today on Below the Frame, I am getting the keys to the podcast from the mighty Matt Vogel. We are here today with puppeteer, director, puppet captain, rock star, genuine rock star, and so many other adjectives that I can't even begin to say them all. Matthew Vogel. I am so excited to talk to you. I have had... A list of questions that I have been in an Evernote <laughs> app since October of 2020 that I was updating as recently as this morning. Wow. So I could not be more ready to go. <laughs> oh, God. I know. I am terrified now. I'm you terrified. You shouldn't be terrified. No, there's just, there's so many things <laughs> that I want to know. There's so many oh, things God. I think that the people out there All would right. like to know. You have given us so much, okay. and now we just want more. You want more. We want more, Matt. Okay, I'm terrified. We want to. Okay, no, all right, all right. You shouldn't. Okay, be I'll do it. I will do it. That is fantastic. Okay, so we'll see what it's like. So now, yeah. Do, do you want to throw to the to the? I interview? am going to. Th- yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. ready. Yeah, no, no, no. I am ready. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. It is time okay, to go man. below the frame with Matt Vogel, and here we go. Matt Vogel. Yes. Finally, you're here. So there's so many things I want to talk to. So let's start at the okay. very beginning. All right. Where'd you grow up? Okay. Well, Stephanie, I grew up uh, in a little mm-hmm. suburb of Kansas City, Kansas, on the Kansas side, not the Missouri side. Mm-hmm. It's called Turner, okay. Kansas. Very small little ah. little community. And uh, I grew up there with my, my mom and my dad and my brother, Jason, who was three mm-hmm. years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of the memories that I have, Stephanie, are really just, uh, they are based on photographs that I have seen of my life. And what kind of things did you love to do as a kid? In the suburbs of Turner. Yeah, yeah. I like to ride my bike. I used to ride my bike up this very long and probably dangerous four-lane street. And I used to ride it all the way up 
to my elementary school and all the way back down. But uh, I would do that. I would play uh, cops and robbers types games with the neighborhood kids. And I would also do uh, puppet shows. I kind of discovered puppetry. Yeah. Uh, I've seen pictures of you and your handmade puppets. You built puppets, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I did make, I did make puppets. And before that, or, or maybe I even combined it. Well, I was a huge fan of of Jim Henson and mm-hmm. the Muppets and Sesame Street, uh, the Muppet Show in particular. Mm-hmm. And uh, I grew up with with Sesame Street, and uh, but I, I think the Muppet Show was the thing that I really loved. And I built my own puppets, and I also had a bunch of other puppets that uh, you know, store bought puppets like that animal puppet. Oh, that sure, came sure. Out, and the Rolf puppet. That oh, came those out. were those great. Are, like I still have those puppets. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, but I also great. got a hold of some uh, t-shirts of my dad's, and I'm just I made my own puppets. I had no idea how I was, what I was doing. I, but I, I, I don't know even what I used as a template because. I mean, it must have been kind of Ernie. They had kind of football-shaped mouths okay. and heads. Uh, but I didn't sew. I didn't know how to sew. Okay. So I just used masking tape and sure. cardboard. But that's amazing. Uh, but I just I wanted to make my own puppet. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought, it was, you know, I was in third grade, I think, when I made my first puppets. Wow. I, d- I never got good at building puppets. I was never a, a, a talented puppet builder. But you didn't have anyone telling you... What to do? You that was this. You were running entirely by instinct. That is impressive for anyone, let alone a kid. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess uh, I guess it is. I mean, I was in, inspired to do this, but but really, I was just looking for the end result. I wanted the tool yes. to be able to entertain. I wanted to be, and and they were. I wanted them to be my own characters that I would entertain the kids with. And I, I would. I would entertain the kids in the neighborhood. I would entertain at PTAs or at church or wow. at Lions Club events. My oh dad my uh, built a stage wow. for, for us. Uh, yeah, he built this stage out of plywood. And he didn't know what he was doing. That's amazing. Yeah. So I'm assuming you, you roped Jason into this as well. I did. I, I made my brother help <laughs> me. Uh, and he was quote, willing to help me. I don't know if maybe my dad, my mom and dad were like, you need to help him. Uh, but he was a participant. He, he did help out. Uh, but I, I never thought that this was anything that I would do uh, for a career, ever. You didn't think was I want to be a puppeteer was, nope. for the rest of my life. So what, no. you just really no. wanted to, this was, was this more of a way for you to perform or was it, or did you genuinely prefer performing a puppet character as opposed to, you know, being on a stage? No, uh, no, no. And in fact, my brother and I would do goofy performance stuff all the time at home. We would video tape ourselves doing mm-hmm. just silly stuff. Usually, like, like we do Weird Al Yankovic lip syncs. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, before a lip sync battle was even a thing. But but I never was ever thinking, oh, I'm going to be a puppeteer when I grow up. Or I don't think I ever thought, I, I don't think I ever knew what I was going to be. I think I maybe thought I might be a teacher wow. or a bus driver because I liked the way the door opened on the, you know, on a school <laughs> bus. You know, yeah, you, it is very cool. You know, not the automatic, but like the manual, no, no, the, the crank, little uh, uh-huh. metal thing. Yes. Yeah, the crank. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. When I was little. The bus driving community's loss is our gain. 
I suppose. So, so yeah, you, but you continued performing in school. Uh, we talked when you yeah. did my interview. I remember you you mentioned doing um, dramatic interpretation for forensics. Uh, what other activities yep. were you involved in as you were continuing your your um, middle school, junior high, high school career? Well, I, I should mention Stephanie, and I may have talked about this before some other places, but who cares? It's my podcast. I can do what I want. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I was in ninth grade, and um, I had written a puppet show for mm-hmm. the talent show. And uh, by then, my brother was no longer puppeteering with me. A, f- a friend named Scott Erskine and another friend of mine named Brian Stubler, whom I'm still friends with, uh, they were helping me do this puppet show. And my dad built a new stage, and it was really fancy, you know, for, wow. for this stage he had built. It was really cool. And, you know, there's, like, all the cool people in the talent show doing things like, you know, playing drums and... Oh, sure. Just drums. Or sure, sure. just the bass. Yep. Or just yep. singing, you know, acapella. It's stuff like that. Like, really cool stuff. And then the puppet show. Well, I won the talent show. <gasps> yeah, and, you did. And yeah, my mom had, like, made these shirts that said Vogel Puppets on them that were, like, oh you know, printed on, on them for me and for my two uh, wow. puppeteer friends. Oh. And <laughs> I won the talent show, and I was so happy. And then I heard some booing from the crowd. Oh, I heard, no. you know, mm. I, and, of course, when you're – a kid, that's mm-hmm. the thing you hear over yeah. the cheering. Yeah. And I, I don't know, it could have been two people, could have been, it could have been 10 people, it could have mm. been 100, I don't know. Mm. It felt like the whole room. Um, and, and after that moment, I, I put the puppets away and I, I just was like, oh, I guess I'm not going to do that anymore. So um, two people, I mean, it really, it two hit to me 10 hard. people booing was enough to derail <laughs> this entire cottage oh, sure. industry. And all of your parents' support <laughs> and your brother's support yeah. and your friends' support. That's yep. powerful. Yep. Yeah. The suckage it's... of people in the world and the power that terrible people have. That's, um, yeah. man, yeah. Matt, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, I did not have, I had a very, you know, as, as kids do at that point in their lives, a very thin skin. Well, You know, and it was mean. It wasn't, you know, yeah. it was mean. You were what, 14, but, uh, right? That. That's a yeah. hard age for anyone 13, to be. 14. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I wasn't, you know, the cool kid anyway. I did I never saw myself as a cool kid. Um I think you're cool. You know, I didn't <laughs> But I understand. Well. <laughs> I know. Everything's so, uh, relative. The, the point is here. <laughs> you're right, you're right. The the point is though, I, I put the puppets away. Yeah. I put the puppets away. And I didn't do them anymore. But my mom knowing that I needed to have some sort of creative outlet, mm-hmm. she signed me up for acting classes at a, at a place called Theater for Young America. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're still around today. They're in Kansas City, Missouri now. Okay. At the Union Station. And uh, I, that's kind of where I found my people. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I got more and more interested in acting and, mm-hmm. and uh, seeing that connection uh, with entertaining people through acting. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what I did during those high school years, those the ninth on into high school. Is what kinds of shows I, were you involved with there? We did shows like, uh, and these were shows that, first of all, there were acting classes and I had some wonderful okay. acting teachers and then they would give opportunities to, to their students to be in their professional shows with their, uh, you know, equity actors. Amazing. So I think the first show that I did was uh, called The Prince and the Pauper. Mm-hmm. I played the prince. And my, wow. my good friend Matt Rapport played the pauper. 
the and titular roles. His name is Matt. My name is Matt. Yes, oh, that's, that's right. Uh, I did that. Uh, I that was with some professionals as my first professional thing, I think. And um, later, I did uh, Best Christmas Pageant Ever. Oh, I did wow. a bunch of shows there. I did Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and Alice in Wonderland. And these were all adaptations that Gene Mackey, uh, who was the, one of the founders of Theatre of Young America, had written uh, and mm. brought people in to write music for. And it was a really vibrant, young theater community mm. with a bunch of kids. But we got to work with professionals, which was really cool. And That's incredible. I met some, yeah, I, yeah, it, it was incredible. And, I, and then I felt more confident. I grew confidence from being around people that were more like me, I guess. So you worked with people who were professional equity members, ostensibly older people, uh, older than you, I should say, all things, again, being right. relative. Um, did they, <laughs> did any of them take you under their wing? Did any of them uh, sort of talk to you about you know, beyond the classes, talk to you about performing or? Yeah, there were a couple of people there. Uh, Valerie Mackey, who is uh, Gene Mackey and uh, his wife, Cheryl, their daughter. Mm -hmm. And another friend named Sean McCall, who uh, at the time was in college. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I guess I thought I wanted to be an actor. And, and my friend Sean in particular was like, well, you should, you should check out Webster University Conservatory of Theater Arts. Mm -hmm. It's in St. Louis, Missouri. I, you know, nowadays, kids, they, they apply to dozens of colleges, right? Yeah. They, I mean, every yeah. school under the sun. I applied to one college. Me too. And I got in. It was Me the too. place I wanted to go. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We didn't do that back then. We didn't. No, well, also, I don't remember. I didn't anyway. No, no, no. I, I think it was, you know, it was really expensive. It was in the days before the Common App. So, you know, right. now with a Common App, you can hit many schools at once. But I remember, I think it was 50 to $75 to apply, uh, it, yeah. it, which was just yeah. money that we didn't have. And, and so I think right. I took my chances on early enrollment. And then I figured if I didn't get in, I'd have time. To, 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 to reconsider. I, I know the feeling. I don't remember thinking any of that. I didn't you think any of that. In. I don't remember being conscious of that. Yeah, I just knew that that was the school that I was supposed to go to. And you got in. And then I got in. And that school yeah. changed your life in Absolutely. many ways as well because you met some very important people or people who would become very important people in your life. Well, first and foremost, I yes. met my wife there. This program at Webster University Conservatory of Theater Arts in St. Louis, Missouri was uh, at the time a conservatory where you would go for two years. They would evaluate you in your first year and your second year. At the end of your second year, they would you would have a final judgment. <laughs> you would do a final scene. Yeah. And they would then decide whether to keep you wow. for the next two years or mm -hmm. cut you and say bye-bye. I didn't and, know Webster uh, was yeah, a cut that's school. That's how it was. That's how schools like CMU, it was. Carnegie Mellon work, and I think Juilliard and North yeah. Carolina School of the Arts, like the really big ones work that way. I had no yeah. idea Webster yeah, was one of them. But it doesn't do that anymore. Okay. But it did do that at the time. And my roommate, second year, got cut from <gasps> the program. Oh. So we needed somebody to fill that room. <laughs> wow. And I had kind of had my eye on this cute little blonde. Uh -huh. We had done an acting scene together from a doll's house, and she was phenomenal. She was so good. Yeah. 
And she was just really great. And she was really cute. And so I kind of approached (laughs) my roommates and said, "Uh, what about Kelly? Maybe she Mm -hmm. would need a place because coincidentally, her roommate had also been (gasps) cut. So she needed a place. Wow. So Kelly moved in and it wasn't long before uh, we kind of were a couple. And we've been a couple ever since. So that was like 1992, 91, 92. Oh my gosh, you're going to be 30 uh, years together. That's 30 30 years years ago. Incredible, man. Yeah, insane. She is very talented. I remember seeing her. There was a night of monologues. I want to say 20 years ago or something like that. And I remember it was the first time I'd ever seen her perform. And she's magnificent. She's such a great person. She is. How lucky that, yes. I am the luckiest guy because she puts up with all of my ridiculousness. She you know. she's an amazing person. I could do an entire podcast talking about how wonderful your wife is, but but let's get back to college days with Matt. You also <laughs> met uh, a fellow who would become a good friend and the namesake for one of your children. That is right, Hunter Bell uh, was a, in my class, and uh, he's one of my dearest friends from back in the college days. And Hunter was a musical theater major, but he went on to write the book for musicals, including a a musical that I'm very close to called Title of Show, Mm -hmm. which uh, was off-Broadway. And uh, we made this little web series before Mm -hmm. there were even really a lot of web series. And it was called The Title of Show, Show. And I shot it and edited it and helped write it and collaborated with Hunter Bell and Jeff Bowen and Susan Blackwell and Heidi Blickenstaff and Michael Barres. And we would get all of these Broadway people. This is like way beyond college, but but that was kind of how I knew Hunter. I knew him from college and uh, he's still a dear friend of mine. And their show made it to Broadway. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, and a little side note. So I did one of the first regional performances of Title yes. of Show at St. Louis Red. And where? Which is <laughs> at right. Webster. Yep. And when I went back, right. Stephen Wolf, the artistic director of St. Louis Rep, he found out that I knew you. And let me just tell you, uh-huh. they loved you at St. Louis Rep. Uh-huh. He spoke so oh, highly so nice of you hear. and your time. First thing he showed me was a picture of you, and we'll, we'll get to this part of your career, uh, you in six degrees of separation at, at St. Louis, yeah. Rep, which is what a, a great regional yeah. theater, yeah. by the way. And um, talk about your experiences. Well, I've, uh, I've had some experiences at a couple of regional repertory theaters, St. Louis Rep. And then after I graduated from college, I did have the opportunity to work uh, in Kansas City, because that's where I went after I graduated from college. I went home. Kelly and I were going to earn money so we could move to New York and be actors. So (laughs) until then, I uh, did some acting in Kansas City, some smaller theater pieces, and then I worked at Missouri Rep in uh, The Foreigner. I also did this show called The Deputy. It was a Holocaust drama, and my dressing roommate was an actor who came from New York, and his name was Patrick Page. Oh, wow. um, The Patrick Page. Yeah. And he was my dressing room mate and he was lovely. And, you know, of course he said, you know, when you come to New York, look me up. So uh, Kelly and I continued to make money. I I did puppet shows along with doing some acting, but I mostly made money to go to New York by doing puppet shows, by doing a show called The Amazing Puppy Jay Traveling Show. That's what it was. And I built now a puppet, a puppet, a puppy puppet, and it was probably one of the best puppets I've ever made. And my friend Brian Stubler, I hired him to go around to all these daycares and just, I, I wrote, I think it was 
I don't know, four or five different shows. Wow. Yeah, that summer we went around to a dozen uh, different daycares. The yeah. summer after graduating yeah. from college. So this would be the summer of 1993? That's right. That's wow. Right. So what I was asking you before, um, or I was going to ask, at what point did you decide to pick up the puppets again? You know, I had, I had these puppets, and I did bring them with me, some of them, to college. I guess I had continued to do a little bit of puppet building on the side, but nothing really significant. And uh, my roommate, Chad Harris, had spent his summers doing a show at daycares. And it was a water safety show. Okay. And he said, you know what? Why don't you build a puppet and you join me for this water safety show and we'll do it as kind of like a, a duo and it'll be much more fun. We'll split the money and that'll be that. So we spent, I think it was my sophomore year, that summer going to daycare centers, doing our water safety puppet show. And then I kind of got a little bit back into it. You know, I kind of got, hmm. I, the whole time I was still a, a big Muppet fan. I, I started collecting Muppet memorabilia. My bedroom at my parents' house was literally floor to ceiling Muppet stuff. Wow. Lunch boxes, greeting cards, shirts. Wow. Uh, books, lamps puppets, you name it, glasses, uh, posters, everything, floor to ceiling. My mom and my dad used to go to antique stores, you know, sure. and they would always, if they saw something, they would, oh, there's a big bird uh, lunchbox and they'd pick oh it up from me. Oh my gosh. Or, oh, there's a Kermit the Frog uh, plush with the legs. Let's pick that up for Matt. Wow. You know, and, and, um, so they would so they would kind of help mostly they were the ones that contributed to the, to this insane shrine to the muppets Incredible. that I still never was thinking ever that's what I want to do but the so. booze didn't kill you i guess is what's the most beautiful thing is that those booze you still had that desire to perform through this particular medium yeah i wonder if it was because i felt that i was in a safe environment you know i was at hmm. school Okay. Among other actors. Yeah. And maybe I felt safe doing it there. Maybe I felt safe because I knew that these were people that were like me. Yeah. So and they maybe weren't gonna that boo made you. it okay for me to bring out the puppets. No. Right. Uh, or if they did, they didn't do it in front of my face. So there's that. <laughs> but no, no, no. <laughs> but I uh, in you. my senior year, I'd always held this interest in, in the Muppets. And I tried to put together a, a puppet real. Then I shot this in my apartment with my then girlfriend, Kelly, and our friend Gretchen. And I tried to use a monitor because I knew that that's what the the professionals used. Yeah. And I sent it off to New York, never expecting anything. And I got a letter back. <gasps> Ooh. And it said, thank you very much, but uh, no. So I got no. a rejection letter. The word no yeah, well, was it on It didn't just say no. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> but no. It but it said, I mean... you know, thank you very much. But it, said, it gave like tips on how to improve my, oh. my style. Okay. You know? And it okay. was signed, it was signed Renee Rochelle. Remember oh, Renee? Yes, I, I've, I have a similar letter from Renee Rochelle. It didn't yeah. give me tips. I wish I'd gotten tips. <laughs> I could have used some tips, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I had a couple still. tips. I know. I, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and I was like, okay, well, uh, whatever. I'm still going to New York. I'm going to be an actor anyway. That's really what I want to do. We got to New York. We, we found an apartment. What is so weird about this apartment that we didn't realize until we moved in was that downstairs, our neighbor was Patrick Page. He was our you downstairs didn't know where neighbor Patrick in a fifth floor walk-off. <gasps> nope. And he was my neighbor, my <gasps> downstairs neighbor, one flight down. Wow. Insane. 
that was a weird thing. Meanwhile, we couldn't get into that apartment. We had to leave for a month because we could. it wasn't ready. It would be ready the next month. So okay. for a month, Kelly and I went to spend with her mom in Ohio while we just waited it out. Okay. And on the way to Ohio, Kelly, we got the backstage newspaper. We're going to be actors. We're looking for auditions. Sure. And she sees in it, there is an ad with Kermit the Frog, and it says there, do you measure up to be a Muppet? It literally says that they are looking for somebody that is my height, my weight, left-handed. They are looking for somebody like that. Please respond to this. Left-handed? There was a specific ad in backstage for a left-handed puppeteer who is your height and your build. Yes. Yes. And I I Uh called and I spoke to somebody and I said, I am calling about the ad. I am this. I am that height. I am that weight. I am left-handed. I should let you know that I am a right-handed puppeteer, but I am left-handed. So I just want to be upfront with you. Uh, I said, I am not in New York yet. I'll be in New York next month. They said, give us a call when you get to New York. And I was like, okay. So (laughs) we moved to New York. I called. And they said, great, can you come in on Friday for an audition? What? And I was like, uh, yes, I guess, of course I can. No, I'm busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I can't. No. I've just moved to New York. Things to do. <laughs> I have to unpack the yeah. silverware. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. So I went to this audition, and who was there at the audition but John Henson? Oh, wow. John was running this audition. And the reason why they were looking for a left-handed puppeteer was is because for this was for... Coca-Cola yep. Polar Bear? Yes. <sighs> it was for the Coca-Cola Polar Bear, and he needed to shake hands with the <gasps> right hand. So they wanted somebody to be inside the puppet that would put their hand in the left the I left was hand just going to say, why left hand? John, I don't think, was right hand. That's uh, why, because they wanted him to shake hands. What an amazing thought yeah, and, and he said, process. so... <laughs> Do we ever really I know, think I know. about it, that it now? No, no, we don't. Wow. But this was going to be this corporate representation, this real-life representation of those computer-generated commercials. Right. right. And so he asked me, he goes, uh, do you have any body odor? And I go, I, I don't think so. He's like, do you sweat a lot? And I was like, I don't think so. But you're starting to make me sweat now. Uh, but he did have these very specific questions because he was looking you. for somebody to be in it when he couldn't do it. Yes. So that day, I was the last guy to audition. And he goes, uh, hey, you want to come to lunch with me? Then oh I was like, goodness. yeah, I do want to come to lunch with you. Absolutely. And and we went to lunch, and I and I, we talked. He was like, "Where did you come from?" And I told him everything that I've said up to now. And then, like at the end of the lunch, he goes, "Do you want to come up to my house for New Year's Eve?" What, I was like, but, but, "Yeah, absolutely." Can I can I bring Kelly? And he's like, "Yeah, absolutely." Wow. So, spent New Year's Eve at John Henson's house, uh, and it, it was crazy. And then I guess soon after that, I started doing the Coca Cola Polar Bear when John didn't want to do it. So you're in New York for less than a month, and you're at John Henson's house for New Year's Eve. That's incredible, Matt. Yeah, it is weird. I I, I mean, I can't. I just I can't help but think that just there's something so predetermined about all of this. Maybe yeah. I love this. this. (laughs) Well, it is it is interesting, you know, looking looking back on it or thinking about it like that. Because at the same time, Kelly and I are trying to get audition work. We also Mm -hmm. have jobs, day jobs. So, when was the first time you were in the Coca Cola Polar Bear? I I I don't remember exactly the first time, but what I ended up doing, I do remember a particular time, and I don't know exactly why. So maybe it was the first time I was sent to Mississippi. 
mm-hmm. to do a grocery store opening because John Ooh, was unavailable. By Grafstar's so hammer, what a up, savings. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up doing little meet and greets uh, in the Coca-Cola Polar Bear, which was pretty cool. You know, as somebody that had never done this kind of thing before, it was really cool. Yeah. And there was a monitor on my chest that ran up through the, I think it was the nose of the of the bear so that okay. I could see out in front of me. Great. I could see who I was uh, talking to. Great. Um, and uh, I had a handler and I would, you know, was zipped into this thing. If you're zipped into one of these things, and this was the, this was the, the prototype. <laughs> so it was oh. really heavy oh. and, uh, and it was very, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, certainly wasn't clumsily made. It was very beautifully made. It was a gorgeous and, uh, thing. But it was yeah. like one of those things. Yeah. One of those things though, that when you're in, you're in, yeah. you're not yeah. getting out. No. How long were you in it? It was, they were short, short, uh, probably 20 minute. It's still a long time. Oh yeah, long time. um, And I'll tell you, I did sweat. I definitely sweat when I was inside that. (laughs) As would any functioning human being or mammal (laughs) on the earth. Yes. Um, So was that, that was your first time in a Henson puppet? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, not long after. I did that for a while. I'm just trying to think of then the way this would all go down. John must have put something in Kevin Clash's ear or Renee Rochelle know. now uh, well, knew that here's you kind were of what in happened. the loop. Yeah, after I got to New York and after I'd gotten the, the job as the Coca-Cola Polar Bear, I made a new puppet video. Okay. And this time I got another letter from Renee Rochelle. Mm-hmm. And it was like, hey, we'd like to invite you to a workshop. And that was pretty cool because yeah. I wasn't getting any acting work. Okay. Wasn't really trying. So you're at this workshop, and ostensibly at this workshop, you're meeting other performers. I am. And now, Stephanie, I rem- here's what I remember about this, about the workshop. And I know yeah. that you remember it because you were there. If this was right? the one in 96, then yeah, I was there. <laughs> yeah, because I think it was around okay. the time that Susan so, yeah, was there. So there's a little bit of space. Or maybe okay. 95. Jim Martin was there, I remember. Yes. And yes. Kevin. Yes. And Camille. Camille? Yes. I think was there. We were playing a lot of improv games, if memory serves. Yes, we were. Yep. Yeah. And I had no idea what I was doing. I really didn't. I, I remember I thinking, he's fast. Who is this guy? Oh yeah, I do. That's what I remember about I you. I don't know. Wow. Well, that's very kind of you. You know, your memory is, I think your memory is... Uh, no, no, no. Fading. It's going. But there are a few things. <laughs> it's going. It's betraying you. It's going, honey. No, but there are a few things that like, I, you know what? It's like those old pictures. Those old 70s pictures. Yeah. I remember a snapshot here and a snapshot there and a snapshot mm-hmm. there. That's one of the snapshots is that experience because it was formative for me. Yeah. I was still, I think I had just gotten Seuss and I didn't know what my future held. But at least you'd gotten Seuss. I don't think I was on Sesame yet at all. Wait. I think that I was kind of on the cusp of doing that maybe. Right. And- my, the first thing that I did do that was Sesame related, mm-hmm. I believe, was the Thanksgiving Day Parade mm-hmm. where I played Bert uh, wow. in the window. Yeah. And Marty Robinson as Telly berated me the entire time. <gasps> as he uh, is saying, wont to this do. This man is not Bert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he does that to He's everyone. He's an imposter. Yep. Yeah. That's that's Marty's uh, uh, telly shtick th- on Thanksgiving morning. But then after that, I believe, came the Big Bird audition. Okay. And did they say, this is yeah. an audition to play Big Bird? 
Yes. They said, okay. can, yes. they said, can you do a Big Bird voice? And I was like, yes, of course, which is what you're supposed to do when you're an actor. Yeah, of course. Yes. I had of no I idea. Skydive. So and I went and got drive a stick yeah, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. I can do all of that. But I had no idea. And so I went and got uh, the Bird is the Word CD, which is oh. the Big Bird's greatest hits. Yep. And I listened to that over and over and over and over and over again. And I really tried really hard to do my best Big Bird. So. I uh, met Carol, and and along with Carol, there were people like, I think Peter Linz was there, and Eric okay. Jacobson, and Noel okay. McNeil. Wow. Uh, and myself. I think that's it. I Tall, talented men. More, and I had never really met them before. Oh, wow. Maybe at the parade. Okay. The, you know. and, and I feel uh, like at that point, and Noel had Carol. done the bird for opening yeah. credits oh, yeah. or something. Noel had been in the bird because he rivaled the yeah, bird. Yeah. Noel had had a lot of experience in the bird. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, yeah, he was kind of the go-to guy whenever Carol wasn't able to do it. But they wanted somebody or Carol wanted somebody to be able to do the voice or mm-hmm. representation of the voice because he was 65 years old mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. it's hard to believe he was 65 years old and, you know. And still roller skating and down for many, many, many. Yes, I, I know. know. I know. But I met him and the old story is that he met me and, and when Renee introduced me, she said, this is Matt Vogel and his eyes kind of lit up and he goes, <laughs> Vogel, your name means bird in German. This might be the job for you. So I think I had an in. Just because yes. Carol knew a little bit of German. Yeah. You know? And Carol had opinions as oh, yeah. well as we well know. Very strong ones. And if he took yeah. a liking to you, very little yeah. was going to change his mind. And so I think he took an instant yeah, shine, yeah. my friend. And why not? He, he may have. He may have. But I made it through that audition and then I had another audition with just working with him. And, what did you do uh, with Carol? Just, just Carol being, and you? It was really just putting the bird on and... Um, Stefan uh, Rotondaro Re- yeah. would put the puppet on me. Okay. And I think Renee was in the room as well. And I was improving, just ad-libbing things. Was Carol asking you questions and or prompting you? Was he did he have Oscar on? No, no, oh. no. And and I think he they did just very he did very little. He watched and he gave little tips and little hints and little okay. you know, maybe do this a little bit more, maybe do this a little bit more. Were you working from a script? No, no script. I don't remember there being a script. Maybe there was. I just remember that experience of being in that room and with him, just him. And wow. after that experience, he's like, Where are you headed? And I said, Oh, the upper west side. And he goes, Oh, me too. I'll, I'll give you a lift in the cab with me. So he wow. put me in the cab with him, paid for the cab. Aww. It was so sweet of him. And um, talk about a mentor and a friend. He was definitely both of those for me. He was, he was such a mentor to see the way that he became those characters because that is those, he was those characters. That's, that's why he could just easily just switch right into them. And uh, and using him as an example of how to live in the moment in a character is is something that I think is is what I learned from Carol. Wow! Um, and his lovely wife Debbie, whom I just adore, and they yeah. always treated me like a part of their family, always, oh. from the first day. That is so beautiful. They are such beautiful, beautiful people. I want to then yeah. segue to another one of your mentors. I think this is a good time to then talk about a very different kind of mentorship that you had with Jerry Nelson because you also played his characters for very different reasons at a very different time in your career. Can you talk a little bit about how that 
Because I know it was a long process, or at least it seemed like a longer process. You right-handed Jerry a lot. You doubled yeah, Jerry sometimes if the count yeah. was in a scene with another one of his characters. Yeah, it, the thing with Jerry was that, generally speaking, when you start out as a new puppeteer, you are a right hand for somebody. Because mm-hmm. there's so many things that you are trying to absorb and learn and do correctly on camera. And there's very little time. You're sh- You're shooting you know, 14, 15, 16 pages a day. Mm -hmm. It is a very rigorous schedule. And so to be given like a character with lines and acting and emotions right off the bat (laughs) is, you know, a ticket to (laughs) insanity. So generally speaking, we are assists first. So I assisted David Rudman for a very, very long time. And uh, because Peter Linz, who was his assist, had moved on to Bear in the Big Blue House. That's right. I was David's assist as Baby Bear. Mm -hmm. And then when Jerry came in, I was his assist as the Count. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes I would do both hands. Sometimes I would do one hand. And I loved Jerry. He would sit in the green room. Do you remember this stuff? Yeah. He would sit in the green room and in the back by the by the Nintendo yeah. and he would and the, play and, Tetris. Yeah. And he also had the rocking yeah. chair back there too. And, yeah, yeah, he would just sit back there when he wasn't on and it just life was good. He was just, yeah. you know, playing Tetris, reading the paper, yeah. whatever he was doing, you know, and he was just just enjoying. And then sometimes when he was on the set, guitar. he was Oh yeah, sometimes yeah. playing guitar, which was mm-hmm. great. Yeah. And, and I just I just I loved him and he he must have liked me too because I think it was in the year 2000 that he uh, asked Kelly and I if we would come up to the Cape and do a show with him. Mm. He wanted to write a show. Mm -hmm. Uh, He wanted some puppet elements in it, and he wanted Mm -hmm. me to provide the puppets and just Mm -hmm. come up and play with him and help write the show. And he would also play some music with his band. So we did that. We came up and spent a couple weeks with Jerry up at the Cape and did this show called Truro Daydreams. Mm Mm-hmm. Pam at Nights, I think is what it was called. And I think wow. later his, his um, record was called True Daydream. Yeah. But uh, we did this show and it, it was it was fun. Uh, you know, I hung out with Jerry uh, away from work at his house up there. We got to go to the Hunt house up there, which is oh, nearby. Nice. And we stayed overnight at, at the uh, Richard Hunt's house with Jerry. And we just had a really good time. We really connected there. And he just was such a great, such a great, great, great guy. Really uh, grounded, yeah. uh, opinionated, uh, thoughtful. Yeah. And as he got older, he had to rely on oxygen. And he was a little, he was unable to put his arms above his head and puppeteer. Mm-hmm. And at that point, Kevin Clash kind of had talked to Jerry, I think, and said, look, why don't we try this? Why didn't Matt put on the count mm-hmm. and you just do your lines live from right over there? Yeah. Just sit in a chair look at a monitor, have your script, and deliver your lines live. And that is what we did for, I don't know, how many seasons? A couple of yeah, seasons anyway. Uh, yeah, at least a few. Jerry was doing a character. And that's how we got through it. And it was, and I would, I could hear him breathing because he had on the oxygen. Yes. And I had on headphones and I could hear him breathe. Mm-hmm. So I kind of was ready to go. And I, and I could follow him really well. He was very consistent. Now, you knew his really instincts well. very, very well. Yeah. I think part well, all of the that partially time because- underneath, you know, assisting him. Assisting him and also as a fan that helps. of his. And you knew what yeah. the count would do. But yes, all the, definitely all those years of assisting. We'll be back with Stephanie DeBruzzo interviewing me in a few minutes. But first, it's time for... Come in. Hey, Dad. And uh, hi, Stephanie. Hello, Jack. Say, listen. I was just sitting in my room alone with no lights on, just thinking about stuff, and it hit me. Uh, what's that, Jack? Well, you play Big Bird and the Count, right? Well, 
Yeah, I mean, you, you know that, but yes. Yes, I do. So what if they're in a scene together? You can't possibly puppeteer both characters. How do you do it? Well, you see... Hey, sorry to interrupt this little father-son thing, but uh, Matt, do you mind if I answer this one? Oh, yeah, sure, Steph, go ahead. Jack, that is a great question and one that deserves an answer in song. What do you do when you have a scene where Bert and Grover both appear on screen? Barrett can't perform a both that would be hard and also mean. Yes, what do you do? Somebody doubles. What do you do when they write a show where Big Bird and the Count have a duet? Oh no, cloning Matt is an unethical scenario. Yes, what do you do? Somebody doubles. Maybe Marty is in Bert while Grover sneaks on Eric's hand. Maybe Johnny K will do the Count while Matt's the birdie man. Maybe Eric does the voices live while Marty flaps along. Maybe Matt has pre-recorded all the vocals for the song. Or characters are looped. That means the voice replaced in post. It all depends on what the main performer needs the most. Oh, what do you do when Carmen's sick? Or David's flight is late and we need Cookie Quick? Or Ernie's on the Peter's got a Walter conflict? Yes, what do you do? Somebody doubles. Maybe Jen puts on Rosita just to fill in for a show. And after Carmen loops the voice, you'd never ever know. You wouldn't wiggle Elmo like you would a Prairie D. So doubling needs your consciousness and versatility. We only do it when it's necessary to be done. And if you cannot see the game, that's how we know we've won. Oh, there was a time when admittedly one two-headed head was Stephanie. But Eric was already playing Bert, you see. And someone in post forgot to loop it. They were supposed to. It isn't canon. It's just a thing that puppeteers sometimes do. Stop that's right. Today's episode of Below the Frame is brought to you by Doubling. Stephanie, you wrote that little ditty, did you not? Yes, I, I did. So There's there, a lesson in yes. there. Yes. First of all, we do this a lot, but it's for many, many different reasons. Oftentimes, we have mm-hmm. people like you and Eric and Peter and David who work not just with Sesame Street, but with the Muppets. So often, you are double booked. And we are right. really fortunate in that we can actually do this that we trust Mm -hmm. each other enough, and uh, I believe the puppeteer has a say, has an input as to who, say, if Eric is gone and he needs someone to do Bert, he will suggest to Mm -hmm. you as puppet captain, I would like so-and-so to do Bert while I'm gone or Grover or Oscar. Stephanie, you're the one who plays Grover when Eric is not available to play Grover. This is a Yeah, I've got a running list of people that are uh, puppeteer approved. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, and if for whatever reason, or like let's say Eric is playing Oscar and Grover's in the scene. Now, mostly Eric will do as much, like whoever has the most lines. What will happen is Stephanie comes in and, and either says the lines. Right. And Eric dubs them later, or Eric may throw the line, and and Stephanie, you might catch that live. Or Or, if they do a cutaway to a single of Grover, Eric will get out of Oscar and go into Grover for the close up. And that's the way it's going back to the Muppet Show days. To to Jim and Frank, and yeah. Yeah. Frank doing Piggy and Fozzie uh, and Sam. But doubling is a very important part of what we do. Uh, Did that clear things up for you a little bit, Jack? Definitely. I learned something, and it was a catchy ditty as well. It was. Okay, I'm out. Bye-bye. 
Oh, he's so sweet. Is he? I remember when you and Kelly announced oh, that you were pregnant with you, Jack at the Mighty Weaklings concert, you, and it was just crying? the best baby no, announcement ever, and it was look, so no, no. Are you okay, Steph? I'm okay, okay. I'm okay. Yeah, I know. We gotta, I know. We got to get back yeah, to the show. Back to the show. I'm sorry. I'm okay. No, it's okay. Uh, I would like to thank Doubling for being a sponsor of Below the Frame. Now back to the show. Go, 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 Below the Frame. We're back with Stephanie DeBruzzo and me. So at what point, because I know you then, I believe you had had a conversation with Jerry about his characters before he passed away. Yeah, but those were only for the Muppet characters, really. Not for the not for Sesame, not for the Sesame characters. Okay. So, but for Floyd. Uh, yeah. Steve Whitmire had this idea, uh, and he had long had this idea, that he thought that there should be somebody that would take on Richard's roles, Scooter and Janice, yeah. and somebody should take on Jerry's roles because he, it was too difficult for him to travel anymore, and so he couldn't do the, the Muppet stuff. So there was a meeting between Jerry and me and mm-hmm. David Rudman and mm-hmm. Marty Robinson mm-hmm. and uh, Debbie McClellan and Steve Whitmire. Who we, we, we were all in the room, mm-hmm. and uh, this is something we talked about in uh, David Rudman's Below the Frame, but we were there, and Jerry talked about Floyd and talked about Robin. And not too long after that, I started playing the roles uh, that Jerry had created for the Muppets. And and it kind of didn't all happen at once. So I I knew I was Floyd and Rob. And Robin really didn't do very much for quite a while. Mm -hmm. But then, uh, but Floyd had done a a lot. And then we were shooting Letters to Santa. So this is around 2007, uh, 2008. Somewhere in there. And there was a scene where Jane Krakowski is welcoming the Muppets in and they're coming into her house mm-hmm. and they're all walking by. And one of the people in the line was Lou Zealand. Uh-huh. And that, up to that point, that character had been performed by Bill Beretta. And he came up to me and he had the puppet with him and he said, here you go. And I was oh, like, wow. oh, uh, no, 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 this is, your, this is your character. And he goes, no, no, you're doing Jerry's characters, so <gasps> you need to do this as well. Wow. And so I was like, oh. Okay, I haven't really thought about that. Uh, he's like, "Do you have a voice?" And I was like, I, "I think I've got the voice. I don't know." <laughs> so I did. I mean, that was the very first time that I played. He comes through and says something. I don't know. He whispers something. I got you something. I can't remember what it was, but he whispers something just ad libbed. Probably having to do with a fish. And that was the I'm first guessing. time. Probably. It could have been. I think Probably. he does say, yeah, I got you fishes. I think it's something like <laughs> something. that. Is it? And guess. she kind of like reacts. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, I think it's something like that. But that was the first time. And then kind of after that, it was just assumed that if there was an announcer or uh-huh. Crazy Harry or Camilla or whoever, well, that's how I got to do Uncle Deadly in the uh, right. in the films and on the TV. Wow. Series. So yeah. So now that's but but now that's a, again a very different way to start playing classic characters, but at a different point in your career. If someone had said to you in nineteen ninety. Six or ninety-seven. Go put on Big Bird in this scene and say something right. about fish to drink, Krakowski. That might have been very different right. than two thousand eight. Matt being able oh, yeah. to Absolutely. be ready for that. Absolutely. And the thing about Big Bird was, I was doing lines with Big Bird, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the real world. But they yes. were very safe environments. They were like uh, corporate retreats or Mm -hmm. little appearances like that. They were very minimal Mm -hmm. and they were in kind of safe environments. And I always had Carol to kind of fall back on and give feedback, which was good. 
Uh, he was always very supportive. Well, and, as I'm sure you know, Jerry was too. He was as well, but the, the the bulk of the work that I got to do as Jerry's characters was not until after Jerry passed. Right. Now, you yeah. have auditioned for a lot of characters, and you've gotten so many of them that you've had to give some of them up, like Robin, right. <laughs> because you play so many That's characters. That's true. Now, I, I have a question. Is there a character that you auditioned for that you really wish you'd gotten, but you didn't? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I've, I've, well, you know, it, it, initially I think I was, cause I auditioned for Walter and I was, so of course I was disappointed, you know, upset. I was like, oh man, I wish right. I'd gotten that. That would have been so cool. Right. But after seeing Peter Lins play it, I'm yeah. like, no, he's the guy to play Walter. He's absolutely the guy to play Walter. Right. He is the guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that, that it, it, it only stung for a moment and then, you know, it's it's not even really competition, really, I don't feel like, with my fellow performers. Because I am I was so excited for Peter to right. get that, you know? Yeah. It, it was just the right time for him. Well, I mean, it's always disappointing to not get something you audition for. Sure. That's just yeah, an sure. actor's, But it's you know. always nicer when, you're, when your buddy gets it is really great, so. Absolutely. Yeah. But if you had gotten Walter then you wouldn't have gotten to play Constantine because I think that would have been much true, more yeah. difficult. I don't know if that door would have been as open to yeah, you. Yeah, I wouldn't have been able to. I have found no, in my travels that oftentimes a role that I really wanted and didn't get sometimes opens the door to either a different job or maybe a different person in my life. Or even if the job isn't yep. as big, maybe it's a reading and I get to sing this song or meet this person or, you know, the, the path is not... Yeah quite so linear and obvious, X leads to X, leads to That's Y, right. leads to Z. So Constantine right. then right. comes Constantine, along. Constantine uh, was, was, an, was an audition, and I just saw him as an idiot, like an idiot. <laughs> but a ba- but a, you know, the, the most dangerous idiots are the ones that think that they are so smart and, da- mm-hmm. and that are actually dangerous. And he is actually, could be dangerous, oh, but yeah. he is such an idiot that... You know. Yeah, um, I just had fun playing that role. I had a great time creating that role with James Bobin and playing with Ricky Gervais was endlessly enjoyable. While we're on the subject of Constantine, yeah. how much improvisation were you able to do with Ricky Gervais? You did an amazing job oh, with that role. Well, thank you. Uh, we did ad-lib quite a bit. I don't know how much made it in the final film. <laughs> right. But it was easy. It was easy with a scene partner like Ricky. And it's actually easy with any of the Muppet performers. Well, it's also easier to do with a really strong character. With a really good, strong yep. character who you know... Exactly. You don't even have to think about how they would respond to a moment or a line. And not all characters are yeah, created that's equal. that's absolutely true. In that regard. They're not. Yeah, I remember we did some, uh, the press for Muppets Most Wanted. Uh-huh. And it was, and I was paired with Ricky. Uh-huh. And I had the best time because all I was trying to do was make Ricky laugh. I didn't have to do, I didn't have to answer anything because I'm just this stupid bad guy frog. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And Ricky's trying to deliver the, you know, the points of, of like course. what it's about. And like, oh, he's I love, a, you know, being in yeah. the Muppet movie and it's, isn't it? He's got the hard job and yep. I just kept trying to derail him the whole time. And he would just follow me. It was so much fun. We would just crack each other up. It was a, it was a blast. That is fantastic. Well, so now going back to improvisation. Now, I know that that kind of improvisation yeah. does not scare you now. Did it ever? Yeah, I think a lot in of- 1997, I would not have been comfortable 
uh, <laughs> ad-libbing. And even nowadays, even now, there are some characters that I feel more comfortable ad-libbing with than others. Oh, that's interesting. Um, like, I feel very comfortable ad-libbing with Constantine or Uncle Deadly. Kermit, I'm getting more comfortable with. And then, like, other characters like Lou Zealand. I don't know. He's more one-dimensional. <laughs> no, he's, one, he's, he's a one-dimensional he is, character. He is. I, I know exactly where that comes from. Yeah. Slight tangent when so, I was doing Avenue Q, it was always better to have Kate Monster do yeah. an interview than Lucy because Lucy was one dimensional, but Kate you could do more with. Right. So yes, having Animal yeah. do an interview, if you lean in to the one dimension, then yes. But with Lou, that's what it fish becomes. can get old fast, literally yeah. and figuratively. Yeah, that's all there is. <laughs> That <laughs> <laughs> works on both levels. Yep. Um, You're right. It does. So it totally, really does. I totally understand uh, that yeah. that feeling. Yeah. Um, but yeah. and but then also the characters, yeah. uh, Kermit notwithstanding, um, the characters. I always say the funniest characters are the ones who think they're smarter than they are. Yeah. They think they're yeah. geniuses. Yeah, and I love And they are actually those kind of like just... That's what Constantine is. Uncle yeah. Deadly to some Constantine degree. is that to me. To some extent. I mean, I think he, he knows is, more. He's a little... He does know more. But he's self-important. He, he's very self-important. And that's, that's why fun to play. I love playing him too because he's of just... Course. Oh, yes. Great. And, I, and that character has evolved since when Jerry performed him on The Muppet Show. Yes. Because in the movies, he was kind of one thing. Mm-hmm. He was cast as kind of the bad guy, the yeah. henchman or whatever. And then in that ABC series, they kind of... They yes. put him in this role of, you know, Miss Piggy's valet and... And that really, to me, opened up oh, yeah. a big world for him. And that has kind of defined who he has become. Yeah, but well, you found about- that great place for him. Yeah. And the great thing about Deadly, and this is, the, this is true of all really wonderful characters, is he can play the straight man or the fool, depending on who he's paired with. When he's yes. paired with Piggy, he, he is a fantastic straight man. And when he's paired yes, with another character, he works really well that way. Which is, which I think is is yes, testament is to true. what you've been able to do with him in, in well, and also, conjunction you know, with the writers. And yeah, that's true. And and this is how that worked on the ABC series. I thought really well. The, the, there was a point when they were writing something for Uncle Deadly, and they were like, "We want it. We want to see Uncle Deadly's house, and it's going to have these curtains and these uh, candles, and we're in his place." And I thought he would never allow. <laughs> Anyone <laughs> to film right. in his domicile. He <laughs> would right. never allow it. And I feel like you're yeah. giving away something about the character. Like, I don't define who he is. I don't, I mean, right. I know in my inside, yeah. but I'm not going to come out and say, well, he is X, Y, or right. Z. He right. can love fashion and he also loves bowling. Right. He can love uh, you know, runway shows and he can right. also love repairing an old car. And to not set him in any one particular box mm-hmm. uh, so you can't define him is what makes him interesting to me. Absolutely. And I think that we get so caught up with the generic phrase, show, don't tell. I think show, don't tell is very important in some cases, but then there are other times where if you say something about what a character did, that then the audience can imagine how that would have gone. It can be more effective and more funny. I was just watching an old Odd Couple episode. Yeah. Um, the other night where uh, it was about uh, Felix's uh, ex-wife Gloria posed for Playboy 
And Felix was a photographer. It was before they got married, and he went on trial to prevent the pictures <laughs> from being published. And um, and they they come back, and he says, you know, two of those jurors called her for weeks afterwards, and and the, the judge still sends her a Christmas card. And that line is funnier <laughs> than seeing Gloria get a Christmas card from the judge. You know, just imagining those yes. things. Yeah. So yes, I I hear you in yeah. that regard. I think we get so caught yeah. up with blanket statements about comedy and puppetry and the business mm -hmm. and television that yeah. we forget there are always exceptions to the rules depending on X, Y, and Z. So Absolutely. it's good on you for knowing I what agree. those differences are. Um, <laughs> so I want to, I want to, now I want to backtrack. I want to go back. All right. Do you remember right. what your first day at Sesame Street was and what you were doing? I remember, uh, one of my first days, I don't remember my first day on Sesame okay. Street, but I okay. do remember on the show, it could have been a ball, like a, oh. like, yes, it would have been a ball at the okay. end of a, of a, of an episode. And I think the ball had not, had not been sentient until the very end of the episode. <laughs> the ball turns around and says, wow, I had a great day. I go, oh man, this is a fantastic day. I think that was the first little lines that I wow. had. Wow. When, so no, 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 I want to know because... I remember this thing. You would get the breakdown from Danette DeSena and you would look at it and see if your yep. name is on it. And you saw yep. A.M. Ball, Matt. And did you look at that script yep. and see if you had lines? And when you saw the line at the end, oh, sure. what did you do before you went on the set? Did you oh. try like 20 voices at well. home? Just remember that excitement of getting a character. I probably had some voices that I had in mind. Yeah. And at the time, I, I probably would have run them by Joey Mazzarino. Ah, okay. In fact, he may have come to me. He may have come to me and said, you're doing the ball. What do you, what, what do you got? Oh. And then I would audition some voices for him and he'd be like, that one. Because we, we became fast friends pretty early on. He was, he was there for me. That's amazing. Yeah. I, yeah. I love that. So I'm not going to ask you the question about what your favorite character is. But what um, if I have an answer? If you'd like to answer that question, I am not going to deny you that experience. I don't. I, uh, I don't, no, no, I don't no. have an answer. I was no, they, ask, they're all my favorites for different reasons. But Exactly. They're <laughs> yeah. all your children. No, I was going to ask first <laughs> if you prefer playing one-offs or regular characters because you've gotten to do both so much oh. so well. <laughs> now, I mean, I, that's a hard one to answer. I don't yeah. know. Because uh, I... I now I feel like I have been just mostly playing characters that I play, and that's great. Yeah. I'm I'm enjoying that. And well, there's a job security in that. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I also am aware because I do cast the sh yes. Sesame. Yes. I'm aware that I want to try to make sure that everybody kind of gets a, you know, a fair shot at stuff. I'm going to get into that element have, of your fairness, you know, soon. But wow. okay, but okay. if there was a one-off that you have played before, yeah that you wish could come back for just one episode. <laughs> yeah. Which one do you which one would you want uh, it to be? Hubert the Human Cannonball. Yeah. Hubert the Human Cannonball. Uh -huh. I had so much fun. It was a little pink uh puppet he with was a, a little ridiculously spitfire. large helmet. Yeah. Yeah, and he was just really full of energy, yeah. and I just remember having he just like I just made him move really frenetically, and he was just he was just an exciting, fun, silly character to play. So, I liked Hubert the Human Cannonball. I love I'm that. Surprised I remembered his name, but that is who it is. <laughs> so, growing up in Kansas City, yeah. and you're building puppets, 
and then you get to Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. Was it everything you thought it would be? What had you, you, I know you said you hadn't necessarily set out to be a puppeteer or a Muppet performer when you were growing up, but surely you must have had some personal concept of what that would be like. <laughs> I think I have an answer for that. When I was a kid, I met Roscoe in Independence, Missouri at a mall. Wow. He was doing one of those things where they would go around and do mall tours and whatnot. And I remember meeting him as a child. Wow. And I also remember going to an Ice Capades show with the Sesame Street characters. Uh And I remember seeing Big Bird skating around, and I remember him stopping in front of where I was seated and waving to me. What? And I know he was waving at me. Yeah, he so was. So that feeling as a child, seeing Big Bird wave at me, yeah. and that feeling as a child of meeting Gordon yeah. on Sesame Street, yeah. that excitement, I still have that walking onto the Sesame Street set. I had it from the first day where I had been on sets before, so I kind of knew what it might be like, but but it still had this kind of, there's like a a magical crispiness to Mm -hmm. the air. I don't know what it is exactly, but there is this kind of, yeah, it is. And there's like, it's like a, Anything can happen here. Yeah. No. So I still have those feelings. No, I'll never forget when Roscoe and Emilio, they were the first people to remember my name. So to have them say, hey, oh. Stephanie, was like, Wah. even yeah. I, uh, when Carol would put on the bird and say, you know, hi, Stephanie. And yeah. just, ah. I know, I know, I know. Hey, knows my name. Oh, yeah. It's it's a magical, really cool thing. I, I'll talk, I talk to the characters. I talk oh. to them as me. Of course you do. Uh, you know, Elmo talks back to me. And, uh, you know, I mean, in a good way. He's, he's very nice. He does talk back <laughs> occasionally, but he's, generally speaking, very well behaved. Yeah, so this would yeah. be a good time to, to, to discuss why you often uh, talk to characters. Um, because one of the many things, <laughs> and there are so many things that you do, yeah. and I want to go into all those oh, things, but, but let's, good segue all is right. let's talk about your directing career uh, at Sesame Street. You, um, how okay. did that come to pass? Were you tapped? Did you express an interest? Did someone approach you? I, I had... Directed a short film with Joey Mazzarino called hey. Murder, He Squeaked. Yes. And uh, it was kind of a, like a noir puppet film. And we had a good time doing that. And a little while after that, I think Joey then started directing on Sesame Street. And eventually, mm-hmm. I think Joey had asked me, he was like, do you want to direct on Sesame Street? Would you ever want to direct? I was like, yeah, why not? And that's my memory of it, is that they, that Joey kind of came to me and asked. He was head writer and mm-hmm. he was... You know, just asked if I wanted to to direct, and we started directing out in the real world. Started directing these Murray Word on the Street pieces. But that was kind of where I started directing with him, and then it kind of transitioned into street stories, and then it kind of transitioned. I lucked out and got to direct a couple of national commercials, you know, with Sesame and a and a partner. Yeah. To me, it's kind of a natural progression for puppeteers because we're watching everything. All day long. We're watching what the frame looks like. And uh, we are absorbing all of that information as well as doing all the other puppetry things that we have to do. And so for me, it was kind of a logical next step. And I'm really glad that I was 
asked to do it. When you were directing Murder, He Squeaked and the films for Curious Buddies, and you, I remember you were uh, also um, making little videos with your kids, just fun little things. What was the impetus oh, yeah. for that? When did, when well, did you taught yourself I, how to edit? Right. I took an editing class in college, but that was like, you know, yeah. you know the machines three with quarter the jog inch, sure. And, yeah, three quarter on, inch, yes. that's what it was. Yes, it was and, linear um, editing. Yes, that's right. And then after my first son was born, Jack, who sometimes makes an appearance on, well, he did make an appearance on this podcast yes. today. So I, I videoed, videoed everything that he did, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm a new father. And then I wanted to put together something. So I taught myself how to edit on a computer. And then as I had more, as I acquired more children, (laughs) I acquired more uh, editing knowledge and had to edit more and more and more. And it became a thing where like every year I would do, you know, a Vogel Kids, like a wrap up of the year of all the things that they had done. Uh And uh, so I can kind of continue doing that. I've really dropped the ball as of late uh, just because I've, I, I do a lot of things. And so I, that kind of falls to the side. Also, your kids are doing selfies now. They've, they're documenting themselves. They you are. You need to do it for them. That's right. But no, it's a, great, it's a great example of how skills you acquire in your life that aren't essentially meant to be used professionally can be eventually used in a professional manner. Yeah, and I'm still learning that. I'm still learning, you know, music mixing and all kinds of like different little things that I'm interested in. I'm still kind of learning those things in every project that I do. Whatever it is, I feel like I'm I'm improving, you know, little by little. But I mean, that's what's amazing. You are one of our best directors on the show. We always love when you're there. I love when you're directing. We're so lucky that uh, that you haven't run off and done something else. Um, but but you know your 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 thirst to learn, and I know you have a thirst to learn because you have a thirst to do, and sometimes the doing instigates the learning, and that brings us to everything you've learned by doing the Mighty Weaklings and being in that. You were talking about music mixing. And I think a lot of those skills have come because you want to make an album, it's doable to do at home, but you got to do it right. When did you start the Mighty Weaklings? Because you touched a little upon it in the Joey interview, but you really didn't talk about how the band formed. My my dear friend, uh, Michael Escamilla, who uh, passed away, uh, last year, uh, he and I, he, I knew, I, I knew him for, he was over 30 years, I would say as well for 30 years. And, um, when he first moved to New York, he surfed on my <laughs> sofa <laughs> for a couple of weeks while I was looking for a place to stay. And he brought his guitar with him and, uh, we just kind of, he would play and I would just kind of make up stupid lyrics to things <laughs> You know, about like moving to New York and how difficult it is and <laughs> and then how great it could be at the same time. And we were the two kind of annoying people at parties that would just pull out the guitar and play and play songs for people. It wasn't annoying when Jerry and did it in the Muppet <laughs> Room. Why would it be annoying for you? That's true. But then our friend Joey Mazzarino joined us back when he was in high school. He played drums. So this was like 1990. Uh, seven ninety eight, and then yeah. in nineteen ninety nine, uh, I I bought a digital four track recorder. We recorded an album, and um, and we just kind of it was a creative outlet for Michael and for Joey and me, and then uh, later Bob Dehane. So we kind of were a this this uh, 
rock band, this ridiculous rock band, uh, this dichotomy, the mighty weaklings. And we would record album. It was everything that we've recorded except for our children's album. Uh-huh was recorded in my apartment or in Michael's place or Bob's or in a in a rehearsal room. And, uh, you know, I just kind of put them together. I mixed them and just trying to learn. And we continue making music all the way up to today, we, even, even with the absence of Michael. And actually, he, uh, Stephanie, he does contribute to this record that we released last month. Um, he contributes to it. Uh, several songs are inspired by him. He mm-hmm. plays on several of them. They are, uh, you know, leftovers that we didn't complete. Uh, yeah. They are dem- some demos that he made that that Aww. we have added to and enhanced to become these like fully f- fleshed out songs. Amazing. And then there are songs, original songs that that are about our our buddy. Michael in some way or another. I'm really proud of it. And um, so you can, you know, that's, it's out there now. You can stream where can it. They, where can they find it, man? You can stream it. You can stream it on Spotify. You can stream it on wherever, you, I, I, Apple Music, wherever you get them. You can p- purchase it digitally as well. Um, but uh, it is something I'm really proud of. And, um, you know, talking about mm-hmm. trying to improve upon what came before. And I feel like I'm, this is maybe some of my best technical mixing but i feel like it's it went really well and i and i and i got the songs that i really was hearing in my head and i kind of they come out in a in a really uh, great way and a lot of that is thanks to my collab my main collaborator on this bob dehane one of the other things that uh that that you know you're 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 my boss kevin clash was our puppet captain for a really long time and then right. you came on as an assistant puppet captain. How did that come about? Kevin just said, hey, Vogel, let me, you do the work I don't yeah. want to do. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> well, he always did the casting. What I uh-huh. mostly would do is uh, they asked me, I think Carolyn Parente asked me, she's like, would you want to sit in uh, some of the production meetings when Kevin is unavailable or when Kevin is, you know, running behind or whatever, because Kevin was very busy. So yeah. my memory of it is that she asked if I would sit in and and be the assistant puppet captain, answer questions mm-hmm. if I, you know, if, if they were brought up that would be puppet-related questions. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I was chosen, uh, but I, I'm very grateful for that. But I, same kind of thing. I would just sit in the production meetings and if something came up, I would uh, tell them how, what I thought maybe Kevin would want how he would make something work or how it would how it would come about. So then cut to 2012 and it's a really hard year. It's a really hard year for all of us. Um, Jerry got very sick, yeah. then Jerry passed away and you officially took on his characters. Yeah. Then Kevin left the show and all of a sudden you were our puppet captain. So you have all of this mm-hmm. stuff happen to you at once. I remember the the Count Tribute Show, very vividly, was one of the last shows yeah. we shot in that season. It, it, it might have very well been the last day. Everybody was there. Uh, the whole human cast, the, all, every puppeteer mm-hmm. in the ranks, and you were captaining. Yeah. And you were playing the Count, even though the Count wasn't there for most of the episode. Yeah, just had a kind you, of a, a cameo in the end. Yeah, but yeah, you came in at the moment. end. What I remember about you that day was I I knew that you were feeling things, but I was so freaking impressed by just how seemingly unflappable 
you were. And you are a very organized and organizational person, but you are also a very empathetic person. So to not let your feelings get in the way of your work and to do your work as well as you do, I think that speaks to your character. I think that speaks to who you are as a person. Because I think if anybody had earned the right to be grizzled, um, it's you. Uh, <laughs> but do you, you are really, you are truly such a great leader. What do you enjoy the most about leading our ridiculous <laughs> little um, rodeo of cats? <laughs> yeah, I, just that, the yeah. rodeo of cats. The rodeo this of is cats. a thing that's important to me when, uh, that I've come to realize. Uh, early on when I was directing, I would get frustrated, and I probably still get frustrated uh, a little bit now, uh, being on, in, on the set, mm -hmm. but I have come to realize that you have to let the rodeo of cats <laughs> be the rodeo of cats. Yeah. You have to let them enjoy and laugh and have fun. They are being the kids. They are the children. They are the, they are the, the life blood of this operation, and they have to keep limber and loose and mm -hmm. light and fun. So if I come in there and I'm like, Oh, come on, guys. We can't do... Let, blah, blah, blah. If I come in there like that, that is not going to be a, an energy that is conducive to getting good work done. Um, the thing that I enjoy most is being a part of and listening to and watching that rodeo of cats. Mm -hmm. Even if, on occasion, it drives me crazy. <laughs> yes, I understand that. But because you're one of the foolish yeah. cats that we are. And I think... Yeah, I can that, be a foolish cat as well. You And I love when I get yeah. to play with my friend, the foolish cat named Matt. Um, I know how proud your kids are of you. I know how proud Kelly is of you. I... I um, I remember when, uh, when I believe it was Keaton who told me you got Kermit. He, Keaton oh, and Flynn yeah. were at Sesame. And, uh, and he said, uh -huh. yeah, do you hear? <laughs> or you were talking to me about it. And I said, how's it going? And, uh -huh. and, I, and I think I could see him like, he was so excited for you. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> okay, I am stepping away from my interview with Matt Vogel so Matt can ask a puppeteer about not Puppets. Ask the puppeteer about not puppets. Joey Mazzarino, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Power of flight. That is a no-brainer. Why? Why is it a no-brainer? Like, just the, uh, the idea of just being able to propel yourself through the air and just be above of the world and see it all and just, yeah. like, that feeling, that exciting feeling down your chest and down into your very marrow, that <laughs> seems so exciting. What about, like, su super intelligence? No, that's never going to happen for me. Even in <laughs> super a fictional strength. world, I'm What about super strength? Super no, I want to fly. You want to but let me fly. <laughs> Just let me fly. Why can't Super Joey have the power of his own? You can fly. I, I would choose that one too because it would be the most Thank fun. You. It would be the most fun. Thank you. I would be I nervous about it. landing though. I wouldn't be. I'm not nervous. It's like me and Horatio. I'm just going to go for it. I'm not going to think about the results or the consequences. See, this is exactly our, exactly our dynamic. <laughs> You're just like, I'm going. I'm like, but how do I'm I get going. down? I'll, I'll see you. If I land, I land. <laughs> oh, boy. Ask the puppeteer about my puppets. And we are back with Matt Vogel. The, the memory of, of getting Kermit, I do remember hearing 
and coming out into the into you know the foyer the foyer and saying to Kelly who was just like what was that what was what was the call what was the call and I said I got Kermit mm. and she just like sh- there was this uh, this explosion of joy and yeah. happiness I mean it's it's a it was a huge thing I was still kind of like stunned yeah um, by it and kind of. Uh, gobsmacked and um but but everybody around me was like dancing around and I was just like yeah but that tends to be me when I do get like really amazing important fun fantastic news is I'm just kind of like wow like I'm I'm very reserved I don't just like go yeah right you know and I look at my kids I look at my kids (laughs) and most of the time when something really good or fun or great fantastic happens to them. I'm like, why aren't you going yay? Why aren't uh, you super excited? And, uh-huh. and it's really, it's because of me. I know that you and I are similar in that when we get good news, mm-hmm. we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I get it. And I think that there is something about yeah. a cautious optimism that is not entirely unhealthy. Yep. Uh, others may disagree with yeah. that diagnosis, but I, I hear you there. <laughs> While we're on the subject of the Kermit yeah. audition, so again, this is an audition for a legendary character. You play the mm-hmm. you play the legendary characters on two of the biggest puppet franchises in television history, originated by by legendary uh, uh, men. But again, mm-hmm. coming at a very different time in your life and your career under very different circumstances. Uh, what was that audition process like for you? Uh, boy, it was uh, scary. Mm-hmm. It was uh, exhilarating. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, did I say scary? Yeah, <laughs> it was scary. Of course it, it was. It was, uh, it was crazy. I mean, it was, it was insane. I, I, I love Steve Whitmire. Mm-hmm. And I worked with him for years. I mm-hmm. worked alongside him. I would right hand him. I, we would work together. It was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I loved him. And when he was no longer there mm-hmm. uh, to play Kermit, uh, that was a scary thing for mm-hmm. all of us. And knowing that there was no way to turn the ship around, somebody mm-hmm. had to do it. Uh, once the audition came, I. Uh, tried to put my all into it. And the directive was, we would like you to try to be as close to Jim's Kermit as possible. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, all right, well, okay. Um, you know, I, I don't want, whatever I do, and none of the characters that I do, I don't think really sound exactly, I'm, like a, I'm not a voice match for anybody, but I am a heart, I would say I'm a heart and soul match. Yes. I... Um, I feel like the acting and the heart and the soul of the characters that I play are accurate to the performer that came before me. And at the same time, there is a part of those characters, all of them, that is uniquely me. And that's the only way that I can play any character is, uh, especially if it is a character that someone has played before me, is I want to honor and, and do the best version of that character that I can do, mm-hmm. the heart and soul of that character needs to be accurate. And I put everything else on top of it that is that comes from me. Unintentionally, it just kind of happens. Um, so I, I do my best to try to do the, the best Jim's Kermit as I can while still making it feel not like 
uh, a stale imitation. You're not Rich Little. And you know I, I think mean? that that's something we, we, we've talked about this no. before. And I think it's something that's really important for people to understand because of all of the other things that go into playing Kermit. Playing Kermit is not just about a vocal performance. It is also about knowing <laughs> right. what Kermit would say and how Kermit would say it how he would turn a phrase, what word he would use and not use. Again, because so much improvisation is involved, I mean, yes, someone could say, well, that's the writer's job. Well, it's kind of the writer's job, but it is also your job to interpret it because there could be a difference of opinion as to would Kermit say this word as opposed to this word. You know, it's how he would say it. Would he be uncomfortable saying this? And I think that a sheer mimic can only work off the page and sometimes only work off mm-hmm. of words that had already been said by the original performer. I think that's the, li- the limit yeah. to, a, to a strict mimic imitation. So it has to be more than that. And I think you do do that more than that. And that's, what's, that's what is required for all, anyone who takes over a classic character, but especially Kermit. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I I have leaned heavily on Jim Lewis's writing mm-hmm. for the past couple of years because he'll write uh, interview stuff or uh, any anytime I'm making doing like a like a Good Morning America or Today Show or whatever kind of appearance, mm-hmm. he usually uh, will write good answers for me to ref, refer to. You know, yeah. usually like. Uh, like an answer with a couple of different alts. Yeah. And I'll go through and I'll pick which one I feel like I'm going to say, or maybe I'll say a two-combination one, or maybe I'll change it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But recently I did this thing with Michael Buble, which was uh, his Christmas in the City. Yeah. Uh, and the thing that I'm going to bring up is not even that show. But backstage, I had the band, Michael's band, mm-hmm. each one of them, came in. They were like, do you mind if I take a picture with Kermit? And I, so I was like, absolutely. And and so the guy came in, one guy came in, the saxophone player came in, and I'm talking to him as Kermit, just talking to him, making him laugh, making people in the room laugh, and he leaves. And then um, there's a couple more people from the band that are here. <laughs> Do you mind taking pictures? I'm like, absolutely, come on in. Yeah. And so like 10 different musicians came in, and I had to interact with them as Kermit yeah. organically. And every person that came in, I had something different to say to them. And, and that was kind of, I was like, oh, wait, I think I got it. I think I've got it. I think I know how to do this now. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. I, I didn't have any words from Jim to kind of help carrying me through. Yeah. I just started to get a little, I was a little comfortable. I was a little more comfortable with yeah. talking as this frog. Well, and I, and, I, and I think that it's hard to tell people what works for the character, but you know. There's just something you inherently know. And, yeah. it, and it's a really organic thing. And it's, and it's so hard to describe to other people because it sounds so like pompousy, Marlon Brando y, yeah. facetious actor <laughs> crap. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, yeah. Know, I know what you're talking about. Because, and I think it's because of, if you think about the hours and hours and hours that you have spent listening to Kermit. Through the decades. There's something that burrows into your soul when you're someone who is musical, thoughtful, and a good actor. You know the music of a character. You know the music of a voice. The way they would turn a phrase. There's music to that. You know the actor's intention. You can think about, if you're watching a performance of Jim's, you as a fellow actor can think about 
extrapolating it, imagining the words on the page and thinking, oh, this is how Jim got from point A to point B, or watching the documentary footage mm-hmm. or of Muppets and Men yeah. or behind the scenes of Sesame Street and seeing how he and Frank would break down a scene and also how easy yeah. it was for him. And I think that's the key to what you were talking about. Because if you watch, if you watch Jim do Kermit, there's no effort whatsoever. And I think that's probably no. what you hit on, is the sheer effortlessness that is required. Yeah, it, it, which is hard. It takes a lot of, of effort to look effortless. <laughs> of course it is. It's why watching you know? a ballerina yeah. dance Swan Lake. Yep. It's why watching Michael Jeter yeah. play shortstop looks effortless. But that's a lot of work. Yeah. You know, a lot of sweat. Well, if Michael Jeter... If Michael Jeter oh, played Derek shortstop, Jeter. Oh, shit. that would be. <laughs> but Michael I thought Jeter, you were come up with some sort of like oh, it would be amazing. God, it really be cool? would be. Although, if anyone could play shortstop who was not trained as a baseball player, I bet Michael Jeter could do it because be watching Michael Jeter, Michael Jeter dance too. is effortless. And when he was Mr. Noodle, oh yeah, that was effortless. Oh my oh, god, it's amazing! Listen to the old woman screw up words. I'm leaving it in. I'm Ah. leaving it in. Of course you are. (laughs) But I do, I want to say something about, you know, and I I will tell you, you know, there's this thing called social media. There is a thing called social media. I think I know where you're heading with this. Yeah. So social media is, is great. It can be great. It can also be really hurtful. I will tell you that my memory back when they did uh, the Muppets celebrate Jim Henson and seeing Kermit come through that door mm-hmm. and it very clearly was not Jim. Right. I can relate to that feeling. I can relate to that feeling that fans have now mm-hmm. or well, it's been three years, but have, yeah, <laughs> but it's know, still but, out there. Yeah. But seeing, you know, the change, the transition from Steve yeah. to me, mm-hmm. I can imagine that that is, is a shock. Um, and, and, I don't begrudge anyone for feeling, you know, Steve was their Kermit. That's okay, because Steve was their Kermit for 25 years. When I grew up, Jim was my Kermit. That's right. And then Steve was my Kermit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I believe in the characters. I believe in them. I don't begrudge anybody for feeling like, you know, well, he doesn't. That's not Kermit. What does bother me is when I get tagged in things. Uh, that's, yeah. that's a little bothersome. Just because I try to avoid all of that stuff, and then it sometimes is inevitable. And it's, and it's few and far between that I see, which, you know, now I'm going to get 100 tags with stuff. But, no. you know, it's few and far between. But there wasn't the internet, like now, that it was back then. You know oh, what I mean? <laughs> but it always, but what kills me yeah. about, because I've seen it, and um, not only is it mm-hmm. unfair... It reminds me of the booze that you got in ninth grade and that mm-hmm. two or three or four people feeling this way is not indicative of the way everyone else feels about it. And I think another thing that I wish people would understand is if you didn't play Kermit, someone else was going to get this role. Steve was no longer welcome to play this role. It was not your decision to make. It was another entity's decision to be made. You won this role through what I am told is a very 
intense series of auditions. Oh, yes. That it was, again, a very different process than Carol and Big Bird and Jerry Mm -hmm. and his characters. Yeah, there were there were four of us. We called mm-hmm. it Frog Camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mm-hmm. were being we were trained by Brian Henson, mm-hmm. who he has mm-hmm. opinions, oh, and sure. by Kevin Clash. And uh, the decision was made by Debbie McClellan at Disney. And uh, you know that's that was the decision. And I'm I'm very grateful for it. Mm-hmm. I uh, I love this character. I love Kermit. He means a lot to me. He always has. Did I ever think I was going to play Kermit? Hell no. No, of course I not. never thought I was going to play any of the characters that I get to play now. I <laughs> right. never was like secretly going, oh man, I can't wait yeah. to play Crazy Harry. Yeah. I, I never had those thoughts. This never. comes full circle. I remember when you talked to me, you know, about in the first yeah. Below the Frame interview, we said that wasn't anything that we ever thought was a thing. Mm-mm. None of us want that. No. We always wanted to do our own characters. And, 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 and the yeah. concept of, we, we thought these guys would live forever. And we really did, with the exception of yeah. Jim yeah, we and Richard. It just yeah. seemed unfathomable that any of us would ever be in a position to take over classic beloved characters. Absolutely. And, and you know, the thing about the booze that you mentioned, again, bringing it back to the booze, <laughs> is that, is that now, is like I said something about like having a thin skin then. I don't have a thin skin now. I don't. Good. I've, I've, I'm an older person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. a skilled. I am very confident in the in the skill that I have and Good. in my abilities. Good. And and I'm just uh, hopeful that uh, you know people will come along for the ride and enjoy uh, what we have planned on both mm-hmm. Sesame Street and with the Muppets because there's some fun stuff coming up. If if my words are worth anything, I think you've done an incredible job, especially under very um, ooh, trying circumstances. And you do bring yeah. a breeziness that and a and a and a and a ease that reminds me very much of what Jim would do with the character. I love to watch, especially Thank Jim you. on the Johnny Carson show. Those appearances were so <laughs> unfiltered. Yeah. And Loose. forget Kermit's just, just this yeah. laid back guy. And I, I think yeah. as wonderful as he is and the center of morality that he is, he could also be a little cynical and a little naughty and a little world weary and a a frog in show business. And I think that is something (laughs) that is fun to play. That's just my opinion from one fan and everybody's got complex ideas about this complex character. Oh, absolutely. That's what makes him so interesting to play is that he is a very three-dimensional character that that uh, can be uh, all of the things that have been mentioned up to this point uh, because that's what makes him three-dimensional. He can't just be the host of The Muppet Show. He can't right. just be that. Right. He is more than that. And uh, he is that center of the crazy tornado of yeah. all the characters around him. And sometimes he gets swept up in that tornado and gets, you know, mixed up in it, which is yeah. the fun part of, of playing Kermit. He's the one who brought all these characters together. So there's that. There's so much to yeah. explore. Yeah. Um, he's one of the, the most complex Muppet characters, if, if not the uh, most complex uh, Muppet character of all of yeah. them across all of the properties. And I'm... I'm glad that you're leaning into the fun of Kermit and that that yeah, stress I, I of am, it is I am too. Lifting. I've been given that opportunity. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, That's it is. And there's a lot of support from the from the fan community as well. Tough Pigs, mm-hmm. uh, in particular, have been great. And um, they are, uh, you know, nothing if not uh, honest with their opinions. Yeah. And they've been super supportive. So Well... Uh, you are at the top of your game, my friend, and uh, I'm, I couldn't be more proud. You have had so many pinch-yourself, kick-ass experiences, but you have done so many incredible things lately, especially with the Muppets, the Hollywood Bowl, the O2. You won lip-sync battle as Big Bird. You were on The Masked <laughs> Singer as Kermit, yeah. disguising yeah. his voice. I yeah. mean, you did jazz at Lincoln Center and Carnegie Hall and the, and, and the Kennedy Center Honors. Um, is, oh you've had so many special moments. Is, is there a moment that stands out to you as being just the biggest pinch-me moment? I, I mean, yeah. you mentioned Kennedy Center, and that was the day we, we shot that. Yeah. The day that Carol, Carol passed away. Yeah. And this was the day before. Uh, standing on the stage, and we were rehearsing our bit, and I knew that they were talking about doing something with Tom Hanks. And uh, I was like, oh, that would be amazing. And then there's this guy next to me. He's like, hey, are you, uh, are you uh, Big Bird? And I was looked around, and there's Tom Hanks ah! standing talking to me. And I was ah! like, yes. And he's like, absolutely, I'll do this thing with Big Bird. This'll be, this'll be great. He was so... Everything that you've ever wanted Tom Hanks to be, yeah. this is who he was. He was uh. unbelievable. And I'm, I, was, I was just like, I, I could not articulate yeah. anything of any value to him at all. But it was amazing. It was great. And I got to do work with, I worked with him, like not in Big Hanks? Bird costume, like saying like, can I sit on your lap? Can we do this? And he was all totally game for it. Uh. It was amazing. And the, the beautiful thing about Tom Hanks is that the next day, the day that we were shooting the the Kennedy Center honors that morning, Carol had passed away. Yeah. And when we got there, before we even did our bit, uh, Tom Hanks came to find me and he said, I heard about Carol. I'm really, I'm so sorry. And he was just so kind and gracious to come and find me and, and say that to all of us. He was, we were, there were several of us around and he was, he was, you know, commiserating with us. Mm. And it was beautiful. It was, he was just such a, a great human being. And then he said, I'll see you out there. And, uh, mm. and that was it. It was, it was uh, amazing. So that, that leaps out at me as something, uh, but only probably because you mentioned Kennedy Center. There have been so many. There truly have been so many. That's and, up and there, though. When you meet, it is up there. But when you meet somebody like, a, like Michael Buble, yeah. who I just, I've met before, but, uh, you know, years ago, but then had the opportunity to really work with him this past December. Uh, and he's just a genuine, wonderful, nice human being. And it's just refreshing. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, actually it's not refreshing because most of the people that we get to meet on Sesame street and with the Muppets are pretty wonderful people. That's true. Uh, we are very lucky. To but get it's to always... meet these people because they understand that privilege of being able to come on this show that we do, I think. Yeah, but you it's know? always nice to know that people you admire for other reasons are as wonderful as, like you said, as you would want them yes. to be. Or remember when Garth Brooks you did know the who show. Another, another person 
I was just going to say Garth Brooks when he came in. Yeah. And my mom was there that day. This was back when we could bring family on the oh, set. Oh, yeah. My mom was there. And oh. I remember him, like, I will never forget this, that I introduced my mom, because I was a big, I mean, I am a big sure. Garth Brooks fan. Yeah. And I I, uh, I said, um, Mr. Brooks, I'd like to introduce you to my mom. He had his cowboy hat on. He took it off. Oh. He shook my mom's hand. He's like, Miss, Mrs. Vogel, it's so nice to meet you. Oh he was gosh. just, could not have been more wonderful. And it, and it really does go back to that thing of like, how often is my mom going to get to meet Garth Brooks? Right. It's the and same thing. Like how often is somebody going to get meet Kermit yeah. or Big Bird or and whoever And this was it is, 1999. You know? He, Garth Brooks was yeah. the biggest, biggest name. Huge. Like huge. Yeah. And I remember we were setting up because remember it was a bunch of monsters around Garth Brooks mm-hmm. and I felt a tap on my shoulder. And I'm thinking, oh, it's Chuck asking me about the monitor. I turn around, it's Garth Brooks, hand extended, (laughs) saying, hi, I'm Garth. That does not happen. Usually, we're all standing around waiting for the celebrity to come in with their entourage sometimes. And you don't speak unless you're spoken to. He didn't have an entourage, it was just him. No, it was just him. Yeah. He's just coming up and tapping us and saying hi like a person. And... I, yeah, again, like people like that. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. Blow you away with their humanity and kindness. And I will be a forever yeah. fan of people who, well, uh, John Batiste, when he came in, I remember yeah. this, you know, this oh, past. Oh, yeah. Like, you yeah. think. I mean, we are so lucky. He can't we are be so the person lucky. that you see on TV. He can't be that all the yeah. time. He is absolutely that. But he is. But he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've been extraordinarily yeah. lucky. Now, for contrast, what has your most ridiculous experience been? Just like, what did I get myself into here? Uh, it's anytime I do the Big Bird in the Thanksgiving Day Parade. <laughs> anytime I do Big Bird. I was the there with you this year. It is so hard. <laughs> I am such a It's wimp. hard. No, no, I, you're not a wimp. It's I hard, just, Matt. I'm such a wimp. It is, ugh. Matt, it's hard. You know, I that that I'm gonna say that's the thing because because you know I could put a stick up there and help hold my arm up, but you know what's gonna happen? Now my arm's <laughs> gonna fall asleep. Yeah, yeah. So I can't do that. Right. So I, I have nothing in there. It's just me holding the puppet up for an hour or yeah. however long it is. Yeah, the rest right? of us can come down and, and take a break, and Big Bird goodness. can't. You can hug Michelle. No, I mean I can I I can hug Michelle, but thank God for Michelle Hickey coming out yeah. and going. Do you need a hug, Big Bird? I'm like, yeah. yes, I absolutely yeah. need a hug. And then I'll lean on her and pull my you arm can. down and get blood back into my arm. But I'm basically just a wimp. No, you're not a wimp, Matt. You're human, and no one <laughs> should have their arm up in the air for an hour with a bird on the end of it. I mean, I, and I, but believe me, I have been very grateful to be playing, to be able to do the the Thanksgiving Day parades over the years. It's so much fun. Oh yeah, to get to walk the parade route and like before yeah. that electricity again that you feel yeah. is a lot of fun. It's just when it comes to putting the bird on and then sitting there for an hour. No, there's a lot of a, make, a lot of adrenaline, know, but it's, it's hard. It's hard. So Matt Vogel, people who are listening to this podcast obviously will know you best as the host of Below the Frame. And I need to right. talk to you a little bit about this wonderful podcast that okay. you've created. I was there the day that you had the idea to start walking around backstage mm-hmm. and in the Muppet Room with your camera. And you did those great successful right. series That's of correct. Facebook Live shows. Uh, and I wrote a song mm-hmm. you didn't ask for. Because I got, I got too excited <laughs> about that. Yeah. Um, but we're not going to talk about the Facebook Live show. I'm talking about this podcast. Okay. 
And I would like to go on the right. record as saying that I was wrong. Because when you, when you mentioned to me uh, that you were thinking about doing a podcast, I said, how are you going to yeah. do a podcast about something that's so visual? I don't know if that's going right. to work. I was so wrong. I what, didn't either. What, but what made you decide to turn Below the Frame, the Facebook live show, into a podcast? Well, if there's one thing this world doesn't have enough of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's so an right, old joke. Matt. No, I, I just, in trying to translate what the Facebook live shows were, which were kind of exciting and they were live. And we had a bunch of people we could talk to in the, in the Muppet Lounge at any given time. Mm -hmm. And uh, trying to translate that into a podcast made sense to me to focus only on like one person get their story. We could really go in depth in a podcast and, and maybe we'll have some fun little tidbits about how to become a better puppeteer along the way. And those are those fake ads that we do. And then we'll also, uh, we'll also do, uh, you know, some, we'll ask a puppeteer a question about not puppets, which is what we did on, on the, uh, that's almost the only holdover, I think, from yeah. the Facebook live I show that's really right. is the ask a puppeteer about not puppets. Yeah. And the, uh, the other element was that I wanted so after Jerry had died, his widow, Jan, gave me a digital folder of all of these things that Jerry had written. And unfortunately, he never recorded himself saying them. And I never knew what to do with them. And then when this podcast idea came about, I was like, oh, wait, I've got those things of Jerry's. Why don't we make like these Jerry stories and we can have people that knew Jerry talk, like bring a memory of Jerry and then read one of the stories that Jerry wrote. And I've got this disc uh, that Jerry gave me a long time ago of recordings of songs that he had done. And I thought, sure. oh, we could do this too and share those. And I asked Jan if that would be okay. And Jan was like, I fully support this 100%. And so that's kind of, the, that was kind of putting those bones together uh, to make this little podcast. But the purpose of the podcast is to create an oral history of these Muppet performers, writers, directors, puppet builders, wranglers, whoever it wants to be. Uh, because those stories don't get told, um, you know, beyond, I would say, Jim and Frank and Carol, maybe. Just, I just felt that this was a, a good way for me to get to, in a pandemic, to get to see my friends, yeah. number one. And number two, get to know a little bit more about them and, and share some time together. Yeah, that is exactly what it has become, an, an oral oral history. And I think that it's an amazing historical document um, that you're compiling so wonderfully and lovingly and uh, so grateful. Your relationship, the fact that I don't think just anybody could have hosted this. I think that you're hosting it because you have worked with everyone you've talked to uh, in one capacity or another. And you know this world so well, you're asking far more and far deeper questions than, so what's your favorite puppet? And I, I enjoy, especially the Ask a Puppeteer about Not Puppets or the new Injury Corner, but also just about, right. about childhood experiences and how did you get here and what were you doing? And I also enjoy then bringing in the skill set uh, knowledge as well because as, I, as yeah. I will occasionally tell a new person coming in, everybody's going to tell you something different. We all have our own opinions about what we yeah. think is important in puppetry 
or what we think the rules are. And I think that all of these episodes taken together is really just an amazing document. So thank you on behalf of all of us for doing it and for having the idea. Um, in your travels producing uh, this podcast, have you learned like anything that's really surprising? Nothing that's flooring. But I would say that what I notice is there is a, a through line for each one of us that drives us to the moment that gets us to where we are right now. And some of them are very similar. Like, you know, some of us are, were, were big Muppet fans when we were little. Mm -hmm. Some of us were dancers when we were little. Some of mm -hmm. us were actors. Some of us were none of those things. And there is something, it seems to me, that has driven each of us and things that are, that are seemingly out of our control that have driven us to be where we are. Hmm. I, I don't, I, I, that's the only thing that I, and I can't flesh that out any more for you than just to say that it feels like we are all here because we are supposed to be here. Hmm. And listening to everybody's story, I kind of see that kind of tale happen again and again that is the thing that drives us to be here. Does that's that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense and it's fantastic. So, Again, one of the biggest gifts that Below the Frame gives to especially aspiring puppeteers is you talk, we talk very frankly about the things that are required to be a good Muppet performer, to be a thoughtful puppeteer. And I think that our generation talks way more about this stuff than previous generations do. Uh, I, I think you would agree yep. We were not hearing this yeah. stuff in the Muppet Room when we first started out. We talk about it all the time. I don't know why. It was, is it because we're nerds? Uh, and we figured it out. I mean, I think that was yeah. the other thing. I think we <laughs> figured this stuff yeah. out. And whether we figured it out on yeah. our own and then shared it, or whether we were figuring it out together because we talked about it all the time, I don't know which of those things it is. Well, I, I, you know, I don't... The thing about... For Jim and for Frank and for Jerry and for mm -hmm. Carol and for they were there was nobody really before them to look right. at and go do you know in this in this way yeah they, they were making were up the rules creating it and we have had the privilege because we were all Muppet fans of seeing all those performances over and over and over again and going oh that's what oh oh yeah oh the head tilt oh this yeah. oh I'm moving and you know like we have absorbed all of those things in a way that they didn't need to because they were they were just doing it and living right. it and so we have been able to take advantage of their pre-work mm -hmm. and use it for our benefit right so what i wanted to ask you is is there anything that we talk about on the podcast, in the Muppet Room, about all the things that we, you know, the, the things we talk about all the damn time that you wish you mm -hmm. had heard when you were first starting out. Be bold. Yeah. To me, that's, I mean, that's one of the biggest things for me because when I was shy and a little more tentative as a performer, my characters suffered. And uh, experience and time and confidence grew Mm -hmm. And once those things did blossom in me, I would say, mm -hmm. confidence and uh, ability and the the willingness or desire to be bold mm -hmm. when performing these one-off characters or any of the characters, that's when I could see real results. And that is one thing that when we do puppet workshops, that is one of the main things that I 
focus on is being bold with your characters. That doesn't mean you have to be loud. It just right. means you need to make a choice, right. whether it is strong, silent, quiet, big, happy, whatever whatever choice you're going to make. Just be – it's so easy and boring just to be like, hey, what are you doing? What's mm-hmm. up? I'm just here standing in front of the camp. You know, just those are not enjoyable to for anybody to watch. I can't I don't know how it could be enjoyable to perform. So I would have wanted to learn like just take a risk. Be bold. Yeah. yeah. So Matt, I know that uh in season 2 yeah. you have had some um some surprise audio messages from uh from special oh, guests. Yes. And uh I couldn't That's let right. this interview happen without Playing one for you. <laughs> Matt Vogel, it's Ryan Dillon. I call him Matteo. It's Warwick Brownlow Pikey, your British buddy. It's Paul Rudolph, your Sesame Street vocal music director. This is Tao. Hey, this is Austin Costello. Chris Hayes, all the way from ATL. Hey, this is Megan Pyfus. This is Kathy Kim. I have been asked, along with my peers, to say some kind words about you. And I, you know, I'm just coming up short. So here I have a list of your bad qualities. I am so happy to say that I know him since he started working for the uh, Hensons. And then he came to Sesame Street and I been following his career since he started working with us. I remember you walking into that Muppet room, so young, so eager. Little did we know you'd turn out to be the wonderful, amazing, and gifted puppeteer that you are. And I'd quite like to tell everybody just how nice you are. You are a nice guy, a wonderful guy, a lovely guy, and we all love you. Matt, I need you to know how rare it is to be the kind of boss who is as universally respected and trusted and loved as you are at Sesame. So talented and so wonderful. I've been so fortunate to witness the incredible genius of Matt Vogel. Matt is just such a giving performer and kind mentor, and we're all very, very fortunate to have him. He's not only a remarkable performer and puppeteer, but also an awesome mentor and leader. I just, I want you to know that I think you're one of the greatest who ever lived. When I think of the greats, you know, I think of, you know, you got JFK, you got Gandhi. A big thank you for everything you've done over the years, your encouragement, your um, patience, and your mentorship is priceless, man. He spends so much of his time teaching and sharing his advice and sharing just generally his care for our careers and for our lives. You're a big part of our stories, us young Muppet performers, definitely a big part of mine, and I just wanted to send a big shout out, man. You have a gift of making even the new guys like us mentees feel valued and heard. I've never felt more included in an organization, and Matt has been a huge part of that sentiment. Your patience and your your chillness are something that I will always uh, think of as uh, quintessentially you. Gosh, what do I like best about Matt? Well, I love performing with him. I love watching him perform, but I think the best is when I look on the schedule and I see that Matt is directing. I know any day that I go in, onto the set, if Matt's going to be there, we're going to have fun and we're going to laugh and we're going to make fun of each other and we're going to have a good day. We know that that day is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of wins that we're like, yes, that was great puppetry. Oh my gosh, what a great shot. Oh, it looked great. <laughs> So I just love the feeling of camaraderie and how he brings us all together as a team. One of my favourite Matt memories is when we were working on Muppets Most Wanted and myself, Matt and David Rudman were underneath Constantine, who was in a bog. He had to rise up (laughs) through the bog. So we had our arms up through rubber gloves in this bog and 
one of us took our arm out of the rubber glove, which meant that the bog then filled up the glove. The glove prolapsed. We all took our arms out, screamed, swore, and ran. And then the gloves <laughs> burst all over the studio floor, all over the monitors. And we just kind of ran for the hills. I don't yeah. know what ever happened to that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a fun day. Early on, I think it was season 40 or 41, uh, you had the task of singing uh, as an ape dressed as an angel singing about acorns. had this silly, <laughs> childlike, falsetto yeah. voice. And I remember we were talking about how grade school music teachers would make sure that the class took really big breaths between every phrase. And I had you do that on the recording, and I think it just was fantastic, but... Good on you for all those AMs that you've done over the years. I just want to thank you for joining us on this merry band and just being such an inspiration and such a great guy. Love you. I've only been with Sesame Street for a little over a year, and I feel like I've known him for years. I am so grateful for his friendship and that he came to us because he is, I cannot imagine... Sesame Street of the Muppets without him. It's just a joy and an inspiration to work with you, Matt. He's a pretty good guy. He's a pretty good guy. So thank you for being you. Thank you, Matt. You have my adoration and gratitude forever. Thanks for being rad, Matt. We love you. All right, keep up. Peace. That's just a small smattering of people who love you. Holy crap. I know. Oh, my gosh. Stephanie, you have outdone yourself. I don't know how I can ever do anything like that again. It's so, it was amazing. Well, I felt like I was listening to my Lifetime Achievement it, Award. It was a little Tom with, Sawyer-y. That I'll never get. Yeah, no, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. In our, in our, in my mind, it'll be a long time before you, you, you get that award just because usually those mean it's the end of something. You are just at the, <laughs> right, at the beginning right. of, of new. Um, oh no, no, gosh. I want to echo wow. all those words. I want to so thank, uh, in alphabetical order, Pam Arciero, Tal Bennett, Warwick Brownlow-Pike, Leslie Carrara-Rudolph, Austin Costello, Ryan Dillon, Chris Thomas-Hayes, Kathy Kim, Carmen Osbar, Megan Pyfus, and Paul Rudolph for sharing their gush about our lovely friend, <sighs> Matt Vogel. I couldn't uh, do just one. I had you. to do That's something. That's very kind. So what do I that do was, for you? This really is a cool. special episode. Well done. Ah, uh, well. That was really cool. I Thank could you do. so much. No, and you know, it's funny. Um, Jeez. Everybody says the same thing. They all say the same thing. <laughs> and I probably could have done it in uh, less time than that, but, you know, as it was, I cut those down. Oh, I will send you, you the full files. Oh, my gosh. That everyone sent, but... Oh you are a great boss. Thank you. You're a great performer. Mm. You're a great person. And I know there's a line in Yankee Doodle Dandy. It says, uh, young George Cohan is told, uh, most, uh, most, uh, most performers I know would rather be considered a great guy than a great actor. And you're both. Mm. You're both. And I think, but I think it's more important to be a good person. And you always put that mm. first with us. You are so fair in your puppet captaining. This is another thing, and this goes back to what you were saying about not giving yourself the one-off characters because you want to make sure that everyone gets a chance to play. You're yeah. letting us have the, the pie, even if you don't get a piece of that pie at the end. It's, it's almost a mom thing. And something I... I I love pie. I know you love pie. <laughs> and we love watching yeah, you eat yeah. that pie. Because personally, I love, I remember that ape as an angel singing about acorns. Oh, my gosh. Acorns, acorns. I I love playing Gretel to your Hansel. I love playing stupid little pigs with you. I love any chance (laughs) we get to just be 
fun, have just have fun. And I know those times are are fewer and farther between these days for for so many reasons. But um, you need yeah. to know th- how we appreciate what you do. We see what you do, and I know how much time it takes for you to be as fair and equitable as you are in that casting. I know how hard it must be too, or at least I can imagine. Well, it is hard, but then I do have, I have, I have uh, Bryce Lauren Walker and I have Karen Labovich from Sesame Street that helped they're me the, out too. Because when I cast best. something that's, they're like, hey, you can't cast this person there because they got to be here. And I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, they so are So I do best. have a lot of help and, I, okay. and I'm grateful for that help. They but are, still, absolutely. I know how yeah. uh, mindful you are. Oh, thank you. Of course. Are you kidding me? Thank you. Um, Thanks. I feel like there's a lot we didn't get to, but I also know you have a life and things to do. And um, I think we got to do the lightning round. <laughs> right. And I have added three questions because oh, I think it's only fair that okay. you don't know what a couple of these lightning round questions are. Uh, you know what? The, the thing is, I'm not even sure that I know my answers from the ones that I always do anyway. Well, you better buckle up, <laughs> Matt Vogel, because here uh, we go. Here are the rapid right, fire gonna, questions. Okay, right. first, what's the hardest part okay. about being a puppeteer? Uh, holding your arm up so long. Absolutely. What's the easiest part? <laughs> I guess. Um, oh, getting to play with my friends. And what is your biggest strength as a puppeteer? I think the acting part for me is the strength, strongest part. I would concur. I would concur. And what's your biggest weakness? Thank you, thank you. I think my biggest weakness is uh, impatience and giving, kind of giving up and going, yeah, it's good enough. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's the other side of it, which can be like, uh, it's not good enough and we have to keep going until I am completely satisfied. But that is never, ever going to happen. I know that. So I think my biggest weakness is, is, uh, is that, the impatience. And so I'm just like, okay, fine, it's good. But I understand the flip side because you know I, mean? I think that was my answer. <laughs> yeah. I think mine was I'm never happy. Yeah. yeah. So I understand. No, I'm not. I, and then I guess maybe that is a way of just saying I'm never happy. <laughs> the impatience of it. I'm just like, all right, I guess we're done. Okay. If you were not a puppeteer yeah. or director or rock star, what would you be? Oof. If I was not those things, what would I be? Uh, I would, um, I don't know. I mean, maybe I would be, uh, like a, a, a teacher of some sort, maybe like a, like an acting teacher. Can that, can I say that or something? Yeah. Like, I'm grateful that I get to do this for a living and all mm-hmm. the other things that I get to do along with that. Um, but and I don't even know if I'd like to be an acting teacher, frankly. <laughs> I don't know, Stephanie. <laughs> I understand. I think that I think it's uh, a wonderful thing to realize that you are doing exactly what you were meant to be doing. I think that's an amazing, yeah, an amazing so. thing. Uh, as you well know, Jerry Nelson once said to you, "Sesame is great, but always have something that is your own that you create." And now I know what some of that is for you, but as you asked Noel McNeil, yeah. as you followed up with him, is there mm-hmm. more or something else that you would like to create? Well, I would say, you know, something that, I, that I'm very proud of that I don't talk enough about is my family. And I'm very proud of, the, of, the, of my, my wife and the relationship that I have with her, and I'm very proud of the relationship that I have with my kids. Um, and that is something that I certainly had a hand in creating. Um, and, uh, as for professionally, you know, I'm, I, I, I would love to see the Muppets do something really, really fantastic. And I'd love to be a part of getting them to that point where we can do that. I think that's fantastic. 
Um, okay, here are my additions. If you could only play one okay. character for the rest of your career, what would it be? <sighs> oh. I know, that's really hard. It's not fair, but you get it. It's, I have to choose. I can't, cho- I can't choose. Uh, it's uh, not favorite. It's if uh, okay, you could I'm only go, play one. It, okay, no, I know, but I'm, I'm going to say the, the thing that, and I, and I tried to search my database to see which it would be. And Even if it would it's not be Hubert the Human Cannibal. I love that. That's great. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's Come not, on. that wasn't it. No, I'm sorry. It's actually, it's really, I, I, this is the thing that popped into my head first and it's Kermit the Frog. But that's the I thing know that why. popped into my I head think, first and I need to go with my gut. I need yeah. to go with my gut and that was my gut. I think I know why. What in your puppetry career, I know you mentioned your family, but what in your puppetry career are you most proud of? I am most proud of the relationships that I have made with people like yourself, with my Sesame Street family, with the Muppet family. Um, I am so proud and and really just amazed that I am friends with these super creative people. Uh, I am friends and have been friends with legends in the Muppet world, Dave Goles and Jerry Nelson and Carol Spinney. That is a thing that I'm really proud of, to be part of that group of people, that list of names. You know, all of us on the street, seeing my name alongside all of our names is, is a thing that makes me really proud. And to know all of those people is even better. Hell yeah, Matt Vogel. Last, uh, last lightning round. We know that this work is not always easy. What do you rely on the most to help you get through a long, rough day? Oh, that's got to be the vodka. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Matt, I cannot thank you enough for finally letting me talk to you after so long <laughs> and for sharing your stories with us. Um, I just want to thank you f- again for everything you do for, for me, for all of the performers, for the fans, and for all the aspiring puppeteers out there. You make, you make hosting this podcast seem easy, and I am here to tell you that it is very much not. So I appreciate it. <laughs> I thank you. And you can have your podcast back now. Thanks for letting me take thank it for a spin. Thank you very much, Stephanie. It's been great talking with you. And uh, see, this is, what it so- this is what it sounds like when I, just, when I get to yammer on. Well, that's it. That's Below the Frame. We'll be back next week with our season two finale, where I'm talking to Dave Goals. Get updates and stuff about Below the Frame and Muppet Sesame Street and anything I want to post on my Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok accounts at Welcome Matt V. Below the Frame is produced by me, Matt Vogel. The theme song was written by Stephanie DeBruzzo and performed by my band, The Mighty Weaklings. The podcast artwork was created by Dave Holtine at DaveHoltineDesign.com. The word from our sponsor player today for doubling was Stephanie DeBruzzo, who also wrote that song. Special thanks to Stephanie DeBruzzo, Pam Marciero, Tal Bennett, Warwick Brownlow-Pike, Leslie Carrara-Rudolph, Austin Costello, Ryan Dillon, Chris Thomas-Hayes, Kathy Kim, Carmen Ospar, Megan Pipus, Paul Rudolph, Joey Mazzarino, and as always, my son Jack for being a part of this episode. And thanks to you, the fans, for listening. I'm Matt Vogel. We'll see you next time when we go Below the Frame. Bye-bye. Go, go, go below the frame.